I want to add my welcome to Pastor Matt and welcome you this morning as we worship a risen Savior. That's the joy that we have. And I want you to hear this on the first front end of this, and that is that God loves you. And regardless of the hate in the world or the war and the evil and the, maybe even the interpersonal conflict within your own heart and life, that God loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his son. And that took on new meaning for me again yesterday when I was surprised. I'm uh, not usually surprised, uh, but I walked into our living room at 4.30 in the afternoon, and there sat my son who surprised us on his way from being uh, from one training going now to a new training. And I had no idea he was going to be sitting in our living room. And then this morning had to say goodbye again. And that never gets easier. And so he's back on the road because he has to report early this next week. Uh, so when, when a loving father says goodbye to a son whom he loves unconditionally, and we say that God loves you so much that he gave his only son to die, that that even means more. Because he gave his son to die for unrighteous people, which all of us are. All have sinned and come short of God's glory. We, we say this often, sort of joking, but we mean it. You, you can't be a member of Highlands Baptist Church unless you're a sinner. Because we're all sinners. And even after Christ redeems us and saves us, we still sin and we sin against God we sin against each other. So we are people here still saying we need God's grace. Yes, we've been saved. Yes, we have a, an eternal home in heaven. But I need God's grace today. I need his deliverance today. But as we gather on this day, there really is only one vital question that I want to put forward to you. And all other questions we may have can either be accepted or dismissed after this one is answered. And that is this. Is Jesus the Christ, which means the promised one or the Messiah? Is he the Christ, the son of God, not a child of God, not a son, the son or not? Every other question you may come into a church with or talk to somebody about really hinges on that. Is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, or not? Believers gather on this day and every Sunday because we believe a dead man walked out of a sealed and guarded tomb approximately 2,000 years ago. A guarded tomb by the world's superpower of the day. And he walks out just like he said he would. And why does that matter? Why does that matter that we gather and celebrate that. It matters because of the claims that Jesus made. For instance, he claimed that he was the Son of God. He claimed that he could forgive sin. And no one had to convince me as, as a 21-year-old guitar player in an 80s metal band in South Florida that I was a sinner. But to tell me that somebody could forgive my sin... Jesus claimed that. He claimed that he was the only way to the Father. He claimed that he could give living water to those who simply ask him for it if they believe who he is. And he claimed to be the source of life, like food. He said that he is the bread of life and he can give life for those who eat of it. He claimed to have power over, the, over death, 
On Friday morning, there was a casket right here at the bottom of the stairs of a dear sister of ours who died a week and a half ago. And Jesus claims to be the resurrection and the life. And all who believe, though they die, will live forever. These are incredible claims. Jesus said this, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So he either is who he says he is or he's not. And he can do what he says he can do or he can't. It's not both and it is either or. So which one is it? Is he who he says he is, the son of God, or is he not? Here's what surprises many people. Jesus based all those claims of who he is and what he could do on one incredulous event that hadn't even happened again. He said that he was going to be crucified and he was going to be buried and three days later he would rise again. That's what he based his claims on. So this morning we're not asking you to believe in this incredulous pack of lies. We're actually simply putting before you a set of facts and say grapple with the facts of the case. Confront them and then believe the truth. Jesus predicted not only that he would die, but when it would happen, how that death would occur and that he would rise again three days later. In addition to that prediction, he also was born, lived and died in such a way as to fulfill all the predictive prophecies made beforehand about him. Hundreds of years earlier, prophecies were made before the events ever happened. For example, he was born in Bethlehem, like Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, even though his parents lived where? Far north in Nazareth and were preparing to have their child there. He said he would be lifted up rather than stoning or being pushed off a cliff, both of which nearly happened. He said he would be lifted up and it took the savagery of Rome to accomplish his crucifixion. Scripture said that not a single bone of his would be broken. Now imagine that even with the with the scripture texts that Pastor Matt read Friday night and this morning, the beating he took, the flogging, the scourging, falling down under the wooden crossbeam, yet not a single bone of his was broken. Why is that important? Because for a lamb to be offered as a sacrifice, according to Old Testament standards, it had to be without blemish, without spot, and it could not have a broken bone. He was buried in a rich man's tomb, even though he was born into a family of poverty. It took the urgency of properly observing a religious feast to prompt him being buried in a rich man's tomb. And then the bodily resurrection, even though the tomb was guarded by sort of the special forces of the empire of Rome. None of that makes sense, but those are the facts. So we're not expecting anyone to believe some fanciful fabrication of lies. For example, we're not asking you to believe in some enlarged, burrowing, carrot-eating animal that somehow magically provides candy for children. Or some jolly, overweight man with white facial hair, not me, who somehow has the powers of divinity on one night of the year to know everything and get gifts into everybody's home. That's not our appeal this morning. That's not what we're singing about. We're asking you to believe in the only man in all of history who said, I'm going to die. This is how this is when. And three days later, I'm going to rise again. 
And I believe him because it historically happened and it's true. Pastor Matt already read the ramifications or some of the ramifications that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the Apostle Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So if Christ has not risen, everything I do on Sunday morning, every Sunday, is foolishness. I'm a scam artist. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You waking up this morning, you planning to be here, you singing. I was exhausted by the fourth song I was singing so hard. All of that is in vain. It's, it's useless if Christ is not risen This is perhaps the most sad. If Christ is not risen, you are still in your sins. And isn't that our greatest problem? To have our sins forgiven? Because the Scripture clearly teaches it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's not by works so that nobody can boast. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In your name done many wonderful works. In your name we've even cast out demons. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Because it's not about our works or our titles or our achievements or our religiosity. Without the resurrection, Jesus and his disciples and those of us in here who proclaim him as our Savior are certifiably under a delusion. But if this event is true, and I love what Paul says, but in fact, Jesus Christ is risen. And if it's true, and it is true, then three facts, three undeniable truths surface. First, Jesus is the one true God come in the flesh. And everything he did and everything he claimed and everything he taught is validated because of the resurrection. That's the sign he gave unbelieving Jews to authenticate his claims. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 1.4 when he said Jesus was declared to be the Son of God. That's the question. Is he the Son of God? Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. Listen to this. By his resurrection from the dead. A second undeniable truth surfaces. Faith in Jesus Christ is the one true way to the one true God. Matter of fact, it was Wednesday before his crucifixion in the upper room, shortly before he was betrayed by Judas, when he taught his disciples that he is the way and the truth and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through him. And I love Thomas's honesty. He goes, Lord, we don't know the way. And that's when he said, I'm the way. You follow me. Sometime that same evening during the Passover meal, when he said he is the way, he took the Passover observance with the broken bread and the several different cups, and he instituted what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. As a matter of fact, that's how Jesus instructed his followers to commemorate or remember his sacrifice, not with decorated trees or colorful eggs, though we do both. But Jesus says, this is how you remember what I've done for you, Regular gathering on Sunday with the observance of communion, which is broken bread 
and the cup. Why that? Because Jesus laid his life down as a good shepherd for the sheep to save the sheep. To save all those who would believe in him. And his shed blood is what cleanses us from our sin. Scripture says in Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. There's a third undeniable truth. That faith in Jesus as Savior, Deliverer, Rescuer from sin is completely and uniquely validated. So if you say, I believe, I believe in Him. And Jesus says, if you confess and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you are saved. Then that is true. That is why Paul emphatically writes in 1 Corinthians 15, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now it's true that someone can claim anything in the spiritual realm, right? That doesn't have to be proved. Something in the spiritual, invisible, subjectively, uh, unverifiable realm. Somebody can claim anything. And other religions offer that. And they say, listen, if you just read it or you meditate it on it long enough, you'll know in your heart that it's true. But Jesus went above that. Jesus actually put forth his claims of identity and the claims of his work open to be tested and validated. He says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven to the paralytic man or rise up, go home. And what's easier it's easier to say what? Your sins are forgiven. Where's the proof? But if you say to a man that that whole community knew has been paralyzed, rise up, take your bed and go home, and he does it, that just furnished objective, verifiable proof that the other claim is true also, that he can forgive sin. He healed the blind. He multiplied food. He calmed the stormy sea. He healed withered hands. He cast out demons. He even brought a man back from the dead. His name is Lazarus. So he put forth his claims that he's the Christ, the Son of God, but he did so so it could be tested and validated and verified. So we should expect that if Christ's bodily resurrection from the dead is the hinge pin of our belief, then there should be indisputable proof. And there is. There's an empty tomb but not totally empty. The grave clothes were still there, not unwrapped, but as though a body had passed through them. And there are, there are eyewitnesses. Why does all this matter? It matters because all of us have sinned. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And it matters because the wages of our sin is what? Death. And it matters because there is also what is called a second death. It matters because God loves you and he sent his son to die for you. I love John 3.17 where it says that God did not send his son in the world to condemn you. He already knew you were sinners. He already knew I was a sinner. He already knew I needed saved. He already knew I needed rest. He didn't come down to reinforce that point. I'm already condemned. So he didn't come down to condemn. He came down that we might have life in his name. Why does this matter? It matters because none of us can save ourselves. Nobody can remove the curse of sin. Listen to Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us. He purchased us back from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The righteous Jesus 
for the unrighteous you and me. The man whom no curse hung over Jesus, over humanity, where the curse hung heavy. And he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And how did he do that? Paul goes on, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. So God's grace is good news. Why does it matter that he is the Christ, the son of God, and that he rose from the dead? Because if you believe that, you believe his claims, then you are, we would say this, safe. Saved from the penalty of sin. Saved from eternal death. And Philippians 2 says this, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. One day, everybody's knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But those on this side of eternity who have believed and confessed in the risen Lord, are saved. And those who have not will still bow the knee. But if he is not your savior on this side of the world, on this side of eternity, he will be your judge on the other. So Romans 10, my last two verses. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. I love that word justified. It's like you've entered into God's courtroom and then he knows every sin you've ever committed, every thought that you will or have committed. You are declared legally to be as righteous as Jesus Christ. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. God does love you. But God is just. And he is a judge. Therefore, he has sent his son to die in your place and for your sin because he must judge sin. And three days later, Jesus rises from the dead, victorious, saying he is the Christ. He's the son of God. He can be trusted for whoever believes is saved for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not what perish. But have what? Everlasting life. That's why we sing what we sing. That's why we worship. And I hope you believe that this morning. If you do not, or this is new, or strange, or you're just not sure, would you please stay after and talk? We will not rush out. And if I don't have time to talk to you, I will pair you with someone to open up God's Word so you can see again the good news of Jesus Christ, His love for you, the work of redemption he's already accomplished for you, and that it is a free gift of grace, right? So what do I need to do to get this? It's a gift, a free gift of God's grace to be received by faith. Let's pray.